Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card Season 5. Woo! Woo! We finally made it. We uh, made it past four seasons and uh, we made it into 2021, which is great. Last year, as I'm sure most people are aware, was pretty terrible for a lot of uh, folks out there. We all went through some hardships. Um, I, myself, lost two of my grandparents, and that was very hard. But we moved forward, and uh, for me, Memory Card kind of remained a bright spot last year. Didn't have any problems with it, and uh, I'm looking forward to what we're going to do this year. Yeah, um, 2020 was a very difficult year. Like um, At the start of it, I almost died because I, I fell into a ditch and right. had to you know, get stitches and everything because... I was bleeding so much, but uh, memory card, yay! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so last year we put out about uh, over thirty new episodes, and we gained thousands of followers and listeners, mm -hmm. and we also gained a dozen of new Patreon supporters. So thank you to everyone. We want really want to give a big shout out to those folks in particular. Without them backing us on Patreon, we couldn't have made this show or the save file archive what it is today. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to try and reward our backers this year with even more content, especially little like bonus episodes. That's going to be our focus. So we really hope people will uh, check it out. And if you do love the show or maybe you just found us, we would highly recommend checking out our website, memorycardshow.com, where you can find out more information about the show and support us and everything that we do. Yep. All right. Well, you ready for a whole new season push? Let's go. All right, so since we are officially launching Season 5, uh, we thought it would be appropriate for us to talk about some launch title video games and also just like the launch of some consoles. So Push and I have both picked one console that we wanted to talk about, and, and we're going to hit you with some cool information about it. So Push, you're starting us off. Set the scene for us. So the year is... 1994 oh. and things were all simpler back then mm -hmm. <laughs> were they were they haunted as well <laughs> i don't know what's happening I'm not, I'm not sure what direction i'm going i'm just okay just going with the with the flow at this point so yeah my the title the titles that i'll be talking about today are from the original playstation the ps1 and when it first came out in japan i think a lot of people don't know about these titles because a lot of them weren't that good and a lot of them were only released in japan so it's it's kind of interesting to see these eight titles that came out with the original playstation and how the playstation was able to eventually transform itself into a, a you know global name and uh, really be be a competitive uh video game player that it is yeah especially since we had that episode in season one where chris kohler came on and talked about how Sony and Nintendo almost, you know, got together and made a system, but then they kind of, you know, stabbed each other in the back and went their own ways. So mm -hmm. this is kind of the next chapter of that. You know, Sony says, well, forget you. We're making our own system. And then the result is the PlayStation. So as I mentioned, eight games were released for the PlayStation in Japan. Um, a lot of these, like I said, were never released outside of Japan or saw very limited release. So a lot of Japanese names. I'm very sorry. There's... um. <laughs> The Gokujo Paradias Da, 
Deluxe Pack, the Mahjong Station Mazin, Ridge Racer, <laughs> uh, Neketsu Oyako, A4 Evolution, Tama, Adventurous Ball in Giddy Labyrinth, Crime Crackers, <laughs> and, wait for it, Mahjong Goku Tenjikui. Uh, so yeah, I did not uh, make a mistake. One fourth of the PlayStation launch titles were actually just Mahjong games. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you got to give the people what they want, right, Push? Yeah. So let's actually look at these first two Mahjong games. We're going to see which one's worse and see which one was better. Mm -hmm. Mahjong Goku Tenjiku was developed by Chat Noir and published by, actually, Electronic Arts. Mahjong Goku Tenjiku is actually the third entry in the series. Hmm. It would be also be developed for the 3DO, but then ported to the Super Famicom, Sega Saturn, and then the Pl PlayStation 1. They just kind of ported it to everything because, you know, everyone in Japan really likes playing Mahjong on, on consoles. Um, and if you, if you know anything about early video games, yeah. there's a lot of um, Mahjong titles. And they would each try to do their own thing to try to stand out. The theme of this one was actually Journey to the West, so uh, Chinese Monkey King, oh. and had like characters like a kappa, monkey, and demons and stuff like that. Right. Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z are based on that, you know, M Monkey King story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the gameplay is pretty standard for a Mahjong game, and nothing really sticks out. Hmm. The next one is Mahjong Station Mazin, and it was also developed by Ch Chat Noir. and but this time published by Sunsoft. Hmm. So uh, Chat Noir, as you may recall, also published the other Mahjong title. And the reason is probably because they had a Mahjong uh, AI system. Oh, I see. And they probably just licensed it to, to the other companies. Mazin, that this game was a little bit more interesting because it actually featured a really colorful cast of characters just like randomly thrown in there almost. Like there's a knight, a vampire princess a robot and a cowboy and these are the people you're picking that are like sitting at the mahjong table yes so um just a you know colorful cast of characters and it's actually in 3d the other one is it's kind of just like an upgraded version of um mm. a super famicom version so it wasn't like really 3d or rendered but um as in they actually rendered the full table in 3d and in the game's like virtual mode the camera just swings around the, the table showing you what everyone's doing and as they put like these mahjong <laughs> on. So it's, it's, it's very aggressive and, and very hectic, but it's very interesting because it's like one of the first full 3D mahjong games. Would you say it's the better of the two? I heard that it doesn't perform as well, but if you're like, you know, if you want something that's more interesting and more novel, then definitely go with um, Mazin. Hmm. But if you want just something very, very standard, uh, very vanilla, go with uh, Goku Tenjiku. I have, a, I have a fun little Mahjong story. And that was in 2015, when I was in uh, Tokyo, I actually had a friend who lived in Canada who lived in Japan at the time. And he came to meet us in Tokyo. And he was like, oh, I know this great restaurant. Like, it's at the top of this building. Mm -hmm. And so we get in to the elevator, my wife and I and him, and we hit the button and we go up and the doors open and we all like we walk directly into this room full of old women playing mahjong like <laughs> it wasn't like there was like a hallway and a door like it was literally just like we were in the room and they all like stopped and looked at us and we just backed back into the elevator <laughs> and went up to the next floor which had the actual restaurant 
you don't want to mess with those uh mahjong players no they get they take it seriously the next two t- uh, titles i'm gonna be talking about uh also have a theme and they're uh quirky japanese titles quirky all right quirky very quirky power ds is a series that was developed by konami and i actually kind of want to do a full episode on this series just because it's so bizarre and so weird so <laughs> i won't be talking about it too much today okay that's fine the gokujo uh parodius uh da it was a compilation title of the first two arcade titles basically the game is a, a parody of shoot 'em ups at the time hmm. it was very like it had a lot of meta humor like um if you look at some of the bosses they were just like ripoffs of other popular shoot 'em up bosses but like you know suddenly you're fighting an octopus or something like that <laughs> like <laughs> did not very t- take it very uh, self very serious and it was pretty pretty well received and and pretty well beloved but unfortunately this game never really came out in the united states mm. it would eventually release in europe and um was also available for the sega saturn mm. the next game i'll be talking about is neketsu oyako which was developed by technosoft and it was also a parody game but this time it was uh, heavily inspired by final fight and this game is like one of the like the games out of this list that i want to play the most <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fighting game right scroller beat him up scroller oh okay the characters are a dad his daughter and his wife's assistant <laughs> the assistant is also a child okay uh, this is the story they're the hebinos they um may look like your average family <laughs> but middle-aged housewife psycho hebino has a secret she was a child prodigy who created antimatter fusion reactor at the age of 17 <laughs> the local crime syndicate um harugorodan led by the evil ceo hero Graal, has devised a plan to kidnap her and force her to complete a doomsday device wow so um you're you're the husband and like i said you're the daughter and and um the assistant yeah her like lab assistant her lab assistant and you have to go through it and rescue your your um your wife or mom (laughs) before she's forced to make this uh doomsday device the the kids and dad they all play very differently the the dad is like a a wrestler or former wrestler so he does a lot of like body slams and stuff (laughs) like that um there's there's power-ups that um are very weird so like uh during the game you can actually pick up beer Mm-hmm. but if you're a child uh, and you try to pick up a beer a beer it will say like adults only and we'll let you drink it <laughs> it's good it's a good you know you gotta put the right message out there and the story is really really bizarre at one point the trio they get eaten by a whale and they have to fight an octopus for some reason hey the octopus he's always showing up yeah <laughs> you gotta you gotta keep it like biblical you know mm-hmm Wow, that does sound like a fun game. I'm going to have to look into that one. So I got four more titles. The next two are early 3D titles that were published by smaller studios. The first one is uh, Tama Adventurous Ball in Giddy Labyrinth, which is just an amazing name. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the labyrinth itself is giddy, like happy? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Tama in Japanese is uh, ball. Okay. So it's like literally Ball, Adventurous Ball in Giddy Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> so the ball's name is Ball. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Wow. The game was actually published by Time Warner Interactive. They made a couple of games. 
And it's basically a 3D version of Marble Madness where you try to move the board in order to move the ball towards the exit. Mm. But the game really suffered as one of the, you know, original launch titles because it used like really basic shading and a lot of like assets that, um, you know, pre-made 3D assets. And it's not very well optimized. Mm. The game would actually also come out for the Sega Saturn. So um, players had another chance to they had another chance to go through the giddy giddy labyrinth, I guess. <laughs> So the next title is A4 Evolution, and this is a train simulator game slash like SimCity, you know, like empire building game that was uh, released by ArtDink. We talked about a little bit about ArtDink in uh, last season with uh, Kazutoshi Ida. Right. Because that's where he made um, Aquanaut's Holiday and Tale of the Sun. ArtDink, they actually were really, really popular and really well known for their train simulator games. A4 is actually the fourth entry, fourth mainline entry uh, in the A-Train series. That makes sense. This game was actually really notable because it, it's the first launch title to support the PlayStation 1 mouse. Oh. Because it you know, has a, a user interface that's very similar to like SimCity 2000. So you're, you're building up uh, mm-hmm. your train lines, trying to get passengers, but in order to you know, build, get passengers and stuff like that, you also need to build a town and a city and everything like that. And uh, the game would be localized by um, Maxis, who, you know, uh, was known for their simulator games like SimCity. Yeah, SimCity and SimTown and SimAnt. Yeah, but it wasn't really that popular in the United States. And after A4 Evolution, they kind of stopped publishing other companies' games. Hmm. The last two titles that I'm um, here to talk about are probably the, the best ones. The first one, of course, is the ridge racer <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was definitely the clear standout title for the system's launch and uh it was developed and published by namco and it was first released as an arcade title so it wasn't really uh, an exclusive playstation one title but the drifting mechanics and the fun arcade gameplay really hooked people really helped actually sell the playstation one yeah i can imagine like you know if you could only play it in arcade and they're like oh wait you can play it in your home yeah, so it sold very well and um, would eventually be re-released as part of the PlayStation uh, Greatest Hits line. And um, it continued to be a very healthy series over the years. And that's one that did come to, like, the rest of the world, right? Yes, yes, yes. It, okay. came, out, it came out in uh, every region, I think. The last game, unfortunately, is also only Japan-locked, uh, J- uh, region-locked. <laughs> Sony actually heavily invested in this title. And so it was very surprising that it never saw like a, a major worldwide release it's called crime crackers crime crackers <laughs> yeah. <And> it, <laughs> i was just picturing like a saltine with a gun <laughs> i'm the crime cracker stop it right there pop partner <laughs> <laughs> i knew it was you ritz <laughs> so yeah crime crackers was a early first person shooter and um it was developed by media version and uh sony like i said um really heavily invested in this game they brought on a manga artist kokomahi who was known for their chibi character design to do all the artwork and everything and they had like a beautiful like animated sequence and and beautiful like ending sequence even that you you couldn't even see until you finished the game so a lot of people did not see this (laughs) ending sequence (laughs) because unfortunately the gameplay is is not too good during the game you're actually controlling three characters and you can rotate the characters to swap them in and out. Um, and the middle one is the one that is shooting. 
So, like, if your middle character starts to get low on health, you can kind of swap them out and change them so that you have extra life. And then you're going through this uh, labyrinth, which looks very, very similar because, um, you know, very early uh, 3D game design. Was it a, is it another giddy labyrinth or just a normal kind? Uh, it is a <laughs> um, steel labyrinth. <laughs> oh, I see. It doesn't sound very giddy no, to me. No, no, it's not very giddy. Mm. The game actually had a very short development time, despite its huge budget, because I think they just spent a lot of money on the on the visuals and and the uh, animation and stuff like that. And so Sony did not have a lot of faith in this title, and it would never launch outside of Japan, unfortunately. It's interesting. So yeah, those are the eight PlayStation One games for Japan. Okay, so what which one would you say you think is was the best? Um, the one that was. The best is probably Ridge Racer. Okay. Um, but the one that I'm mostly interested in is uh, Neketsu Oyako. Uh, how about you? Which one did any one of those stand out to you? I kind of want to try the, uh, the Ball Labyrinth one, to be honest. It sounds kind of fun. Like, simple. Simple and fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like Monkey Ball. Yeah, yeah. You could think of it kind of like that. That sound means that we're putting this episode on pause for just a moment so we can briefly explain how you can support Memory Card. If you enjoy our content, you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice. Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen, so please do so if you find the time. Spreading the word of Memory Card is very helpful. If you know anyone who's into gaming or history or both, then maybe you should consider sharing Memory Card with them or anyone that you find anywhere. Every season, we strive to reach a wider and wider audience, and you can help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And if you think about it, if you become a patron, you'll never have to hear this ad again. (laughs) How sad. (laughs) Thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show. All right, you ready for my my amazing deep dive here? Yes. Okay. Now, I, I did mine a little differently. Instead of going over every single game... Um, I'm going to kind of talk about the advertising of this console and then um, focus in on just a few of the launch games because there's 18 launch games. Oh, yeah. Which is a lot. So before I officially say uh, which which console it is, I'm just going to I'm going to set the stage here. So the PlayStation, you know, has come out in Japan. It's come out in America. Um, At this point, it's actually 1999. Pokemon is, you know, taking over the entire world and Nintendo is still going hard with the Nintendo 64. Sega, meanwhile, is kind of uh, floundering in North America. They grabbed the attention of the gaming world with the Genesis in the early 90s, but the Sega Saturn, which launched in 1995, is, uh, is pretty much a flop. Though, um, you mentioned earlier that some games, you know, PlayStation games were ported to the Saturn in Japan, and it actually was, like, a pretty big success in Japan. Like, it did, you know, pretty well, but overseas... They just couldn't seem to gain any ground. And yeah. by 1998, they only had like 9.26 million units sold worldwide, which was uh, pretty disappointing. And so they're like, hey, 
forget the Sega Saturn. We're going to move on to the next big thing, the Dreamcast. Ooh, ah. Ooh. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today, the Dreamcast. Um, and uh, before we get into that, I just want to give a shout out to this website, SegaRetro.org, which just had like a ridiculous amount of information about like the launch for every single country and advertisements and stuff. So go check them out if you uh, if you really want to dive deep into this information. So the Dreamcast launched in Japan in November of 1998, almost a full year before it launched in America. And um, there was some big issue because I guess they wanted to have half a million Dreamcasts in stock, but there was some kind of chip shortage mm -hmm. and they only really could make like 150,000. So they had to start taking pre-orders and then they had to stop taking them like a day or two later just because they were like, oh no, we don't have enough. Oh, geez. So that was a big issue. The other issue was they only had four games at launch in Japan, um, which was kind of a, the same problem that the N64 had, but they also had Mario 64 to kind of like dazzle people, you know. The Dreamcast didn't really have like one big star game. They had a visual novel, they had a Godzilla game, um, some weird triathlon mm -hmm. game where you're a penguin, and uh, their most popular one was Virtua Fighter which was like, you know, a big one in the arcade. So they kind of goofed it up uh, in Japan. And so when it came to North America, they're like, okay, we're going to wait a year. We're, we're going to make sure that like everybody's super hyped for this. We're going to make sure our launch lineup is way better. Mm -hmm. And um, they picked what is possibly the coolest and most memorable launch day of all time. Do you, do you remember this one? 9999. That's right. Yeah. Yep. September 9th, 1999. So nines all around. And, uh, and yeah, so Sega's advertising for the Dreamcast began in the sum in that summer of 1999, um, and they had this weird campaign that told customers, "It's thinking." <laughs> it's thinking. Yeah, there's all these weird commercials of like close-ups of like eyeballs and then like computer screens, and they're like, "It's thinking," but they never really like went into detail as to what mm -hmm. it was about. And like later on, some of the people who did the marketing for Dreamcast talked to a magazine. And told them that like 45% of the demographic that they were shooting for knew that the Dreamcast was like coming soon. Mm -hmm. But the majority of those people did not know what the Dreamcast was. <laughs> so like, oh man, this new thing, it's, it's going to help me sleep or something. The Dreamcast. There's this uh, episode of The Simpsons, like an earlier one, where there's all this buzz around Springfield about this, this new thing coming called Gabo. Oh, I remember that. There's commercials and there's billboards like Gabo, Gabo, and everyone's like, what is it? It kind of reminds me of that. They're like, you know, trying to get people hyped up on just a name, but no one knows what it really is. Mm -hmm. Gabo, it turns out to be like a ventriloquist doll, but the Dreamcast uh, was a, a video game system. So, and I guess uh, Sega also paid for some advertisement that showed like a big spiral cloud that was about to hit America. And they're like, a storm's coming because the Dreamcast logo for those who don't know is like this orange spiral but clouds that form storms actually look like that so most mm -hmm. people saw the picture and were like yeah it looks like a normal storm you know what i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not like there's a big xbox storm or a big gamecube storm it's just like yeah a spiral yeah, that's how clouds actually work yeah even so with the you know weird marketing dreamcast pre-orders were estimated to be somewhere between 200 and 300,000 which uh, was two to three times the amount the PlayStation had had in its launch in 1995. So technically, at that point, it was the most mm. anticipated video game console in history. 
like I said, they had 18 games, and because they had that full year, they were able to improve a lot of them for Western release. Um, Sonic Adventure had come out um, in that December of 1998 in Japan, and they could tweak that. And they got rid of some games. That Godzilla game, I guess, was just like god awful. And it like sucked so hard that they were just like, we're not even going to bring it to the United States. Not worth it. Apparently, 600 branches of Hollywood video were given rental units and copies of Sonic in July of 1999, which is like a, you know, quite a few months before it actually came out. And uh, you could rent a Dreamcast and the game for $20 for two days. And you had to put down $350 uh, to make sure that you didn't like steal it. But I guess a lot of people did anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Did you ever rent a console as a kid? Um, I don't think I rented a console, but I remember that being a thing in Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I did either because at Blockbuster, you could rent the Virtual Boy when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And I never sprang for that either. I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was worth the money. $20 mm-hmm. sounds not like a lot of money today but as a kid in the 90s 20 bucks was like yeah and like a game was just like five dollars if i remember correctly yeah to, to rent so sega had all these dreamcast launch parties they sponsored the mtv music awards and it was all part of this initial 100 million dollar like advertising campaign and uh, on the first day 99.99 uh, dreamcast sales um, including games and accessories, came in just under $98 million. Every single Toys R Us branch in the country was sold out by, like, noon. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Like, honestly, it is a pretty, uh, pretty promising start, I should say, for, you know, Sega, who was, was kind of uh, not doing so hot in America at the time. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, at the start, you had Sonic Adventure. Seven of the launch titles were racing games. No Mahjong, shockingly. But there's like Formula One racing, there's like that weird penguin one I mentioned before, street racing, hoverboard racing, boat racing. A big pull for the North American launch was um, Sega Sports, NFL 2K, which was kind of like the anti-Madden, you know, they're like, uh, we could do our own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was also one called Ready to Rumble Boxing, the guy with the big afro, which was, uh, was a big one. And then Soul Calibur, yeah. the very first Soul Calibur game came out. So those were some some big ones. Mm-hmm. There's two games that I wanted to focus on. One of them is Power Stone, and the other one is Blue Stinger, which I had honestly never heard of. Have you, have you heard of Blue Stinger before? I've not heard of Blue Stinger, but I know Power Stone. Okay, yeah. So lot, lots of players seem to be very passionate about those two games, like, years later, like today. Mm-hmm. So I thought it might be fun to, like, you know, dive into, you know, what they were all about. Power Stone, as many people know, it was kind of similar to Smash Brothers because of the setup it's a 3d fighting game like an arena fighting game yeah it was developed by capcom and it's kind of has this whole like environmental awareness because even though you're in these 3d spaces there's all these like weapons and power-ups that are dropping from you know god knows where and you have to pick them up and fight with them Mm -hmm. Um, and i'd really never played this game until i played it at a bar in japan i was excited i just kind of popped it in and played a few rounds and then got my wife Mm -hmm. to come over and play it as well have you ever played Power Stone? Yes, I have. Um, okay. I played it once at a friend's house back in like middle school. Oh, cool. So you actually played it like in the States? Yep. So there's uh, in the original one, because there's a Power, Power Stone 2 that came out later, there's 10 fighters to choose from. And it's, it's mm-hmm. almost like the original Overwatch as far as like, it's kind of cartoony. There's lots of diversity. There's lots of cool backstory for the characters. And they, they have these, this is not very Overwatch, but they have these really thick like lines around the uh 
the characters that kind of makes them very like you know stark mm-hmm. they stand out really well the whole like environment is kind of uh set in the 19th century it's kind yeah. of got like a steampunk vibe like i said you just pick up stuff and you like pick up a hammer and smash somebody in the head with it that kind of thing the the guy who actually worked on it whose name i'm gonna butcher here hideki itsuno mm-hmm. he basically thought that fighters were getting too complicated He's like, what normal person is going to pick up a game and like know some like crazy combo? Yeah, I know how to do a Hadouken. Yeah, exactly. You know, or how to do a fatality in Mortal Kombat. So yeah, he was like, we got to get rid of these like crazy combos and instead drop all this crazy crap throughout the environment so people can like gain the upper hand just by, you know, putting together weapons and finding special abilities. Mm -hmm. So it's very like I said, it's very much like Smash Brothers. You know, especially with if you play with items on, mm-hmm. if you're some noob who doesn't know how to play, <laughs> if you're some casual, <laughs> yeah, you casual players. But uh, yeah, the special abilities are, are very much like the Smash Ball as well. I wonder if mm-hmm. if the Smash Ball kind of came from that. The idea of, of uh, Final Smashes was um, in 1998. Sakura had it uh, planned for the Smash 64. Oh right, but you never know because I and I don't think I mentioned this is that. Um, Power Stone was actually an arcade game before it was a Dreamcast game. So once, mm-hmm. like you said, for the, the game for the PlayStation, it wasn't really an exclusive. It just happened to be the home console for, version of it. Exactly. It was released in arcades in February of 1999. Uh, a few weeks later, it came out on Dreamcast, and it was like a huge success, especially in Japan. 3D visuals were really cool. Mm-hmm. The accessibility of it was, was great for like anybody who wanted to pick up and play. And the the creator, um, Itsuno, has said that mm-hmm. he would love to see it, you know, pop back up um, for the Nintendo Switch. There has been, there was a sequel, like I said, and uh, there was a collection, I think, they released yeah. for the PSP. But yeah, I would love to see this game show up anywhere. I mean, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, I think it'd be great to bring it back. Has it been re-released on um, computers, at least? PC, like Steam or anything like that? No. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of strange that the only thing it's ever been out for is, you know, arcades in Japan, the Dreamcast, and the PSP, which, you know, mm-hmm. sold well, but not, like, great. I was actually thinking about grabbing it on the Vita, but I don't think the store, I don't think the Vita store still mm-hmm. sells, like, games anymore. I, I had to look into it. When I tried to go play it, my Vita was very, very dead from me not having plugged it in for a year, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, the Vita's dead. <laughs> yeah. That's its own episode. Uh, the other game is Blue Stinger, and this mm-hmm. one, uh, I guess, 65 million years ago, a meteorite crashed into the Yucatan Peninsula, which wiped out the dinosaurs yep. and paved the way for humanity. I'm reading this from the story that involves uh, this game. So this game was kind of like um, they tried to make like a Hollywood blockbuster into a, into a video game. Okay, so it's like a day of disaster. Kind of. it had very like mixed results it's it's technically like a horror game mm-hmm. in the year 2000 65 million years after this meteor hits this island comes out of the sea where it landed and they name it dinosaur island <laughs> because of course because jurassic park was trademarked yeah um <laughs> and they built this biotech corporation on the island and then in 2018 crazy you know like the far far future at this point <laughs> this guy um named Elliot ballad who by the way um was voiced by ryan drummond the same voice as sonic the hedgehog in in adventures which is funny he's an elite member of the eser emergency sea evacuation and rescue force 
and is vacationing near Dinosaur Island because why mm. why not? Yeah. Perfect vacation spot. When a new a new meteor hits and it like covers the island in this big dome and then he has to go around the island, he has to fight off dinosaurs, he has to fight off uh mutants and like crabs and yeah. Mm. It's like so ridiculous and like over the top. Uh one of the screenshots I found was like of him like using a flamethrower to light a Christmas tree on fire. <laughs> oh, also, it's Christmas. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so some of the other characters include a sea captain whose name is Dogs Bower. Like his first name is Dogs, plural. Yeah. Mm. And then your sidekick is um, Nephilim, who like kind of shows up. Um, it's kind of like Navi or, or Fee. You know, it's like your little like helpful little angel thing that kind of floats around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I guess a Nephilim is actually like a mysterious person mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. And uh, yeah, it, she kind of looks like a naked blue lady with like a big, weird, uh, I don't know how to, to explain this. She kind of looks like Knuckles if Knuckles was a blue lady. <laughs> okay, I, I can see that. I'm very attracted to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, she definitely looks like an alien. But spoiler alert, it turns out she is the blue stinger. Because forever while I was researching this game, I'm like, what is a blue stinger? Why did you name it that? And it's like she came from outer mm -hmm. space to help fight off the mutants or something. I really don't understand the story, but it's wild. It's out there. Um, so, yeah, it's technically a survival horror game. Some have described it as a jankier and less suspenseful Resident Evil wannabe. Okay. Or an awkward Hollywood action blockbuster. Mm. I, I guess when they when they ported it to North America or when they, you know, they they tried to fix a lot of things, they changed the camera. The camera, I guess, in the Japanese version would do all these like weird, like swooping angles to make it all dramatic. And it would really like throw off the gameplay. So when it came to North America, they were like, OK, we're just going to put the camera behind mm -hmm. you and uh, you can <laughs> hopefully not get too confused. But yeah, so you run around this island. um, uh, fighting off monsters and dinosaurs and collecting items and key cards and stuff so you can get into new areas but uh yeah i guess it i guess it sold half a million copies which isn't terrible yeah that's pretty good yeah that was one of the launch titles uh that you know was was supposed to be one of the big things i read like the old ign review and it was very much like this kind of sucks but it's entertaining <laughs> <laughs> it's got character uh, yeah, it certainly does. And that was it. Thus, the Dreamcast went on to become the best-selling console of all time. The end. Everyone lived happily ever after. No, no, it didn't do so hot. Um, even though it was way ahead of its time, especially with its online system, um, and, you know, seemed to sell pretty well at launch, it, the Dreamcast struggled, like, a lot to stay afloat beyond that. Uh, there was a lot of competition, obviously, from Nintendo and Sony. With the N64 and the, mm -hmm. you know, when the PS2 came out, it really started kicking butt. And also, there was not a lot of great third party support. Sega had that fallout with EA over the whole like Madden versus, you know, uh, 2K sports thing. Mm. And I, I guess, you know, people who didn't like the Saturn weren't going to try and go in for the Dreamcast. And people who did like the Saturn were mad at Sega because they had pulled support for the system so quickly. <laughs> so it was kind of a double whammy there didn't please anyone exactly so the dreamcast was a great little console i'm i'm glad that i have one with a you know collection of games but it was kind of doomed from the start
That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting MemoryCard on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. This includes Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jose Acosta, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Ray Schneider, Nick Callis, Shala, Joseph Stanichar, Tris Valbuena, Daniel Velasquez, and Scott Montgomery. Hopefully I didn't forget anybody. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.